0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live.
1: Welcome to the Friday Morning Break with John Gibbs. This week, my guest, Kirsty Ruthven, we discuss gender stereotyping. And is gender stereotyping still a problem in schools? How can schools confront it? And indeed, the issue of gender and why it is such a hot topic at the moment. And we're back with my guest this week, Kirsty Withan, who works both as an experienced teacher and school leader and as someone who has devoted some time through the organisation lifting limits to examining and confronting and discussing the effect of gender stereotyping in schools. How did schools teach boys and girls differently? When I was at school, it was somewhat different this was the 1960s and 70s. Sewing was encouraged for girls, science was clearly encouraged for boys. Under the surface of that, of course, there were lots of probably subtle reminders of who was who. Boys did rugby and girls didn't. Boys played football and girls didn't. And before that, Schools were organised into girls' entrances and boys' entrances. They dressed differently. They were told that they had different roles in life. But now, is gender stereotyping? Is the observation that girls and boys are different and should think of themselves as different still an issue? If it's an issue, does it involve the limiting of what girls are expected to do, can do, science, engineering, architecture... Or limiting what boys can do. Be caring, thoughtful, empathetic. How much today is gender still an issue which schools should be concerned with? And why has it suddenly become really quite political, both in the UK and in the USA? My guest this week, welcome Kirsty Withven
2: yeah thanks John. um thank you so much for um having me on the show today yeah it um we do hear from educators uh you know haven't we had progress and we've got lots of other things to focus on, but what we found with our work is that uh teachers are in a really privileged position in that they can either challenge these gender stereotypes in their practice or they can actually inadvertently perpetuate them as well. And we feel like there are so many things, there are so many things that um, the evidence and research shows us, outcomes in society that can be tracked back to uh, very uh, strong beliefs in gender stereotypes that begin in the early and the primary years.
1: From your own personal point of view, dealing with young, teaching younger children, what, what sort of things have you seen In school that would make you think well this is something we need to worry about?
2: Yeah so at the moment I'm I'm lucky enough to still be able to teach for some of the week and uh, work for the charity so I teach in a reception class and the topic people who help us is a very common one. Uh, I'm sure lots of listeners will be familiar with that and it's amazing even at the age of three, four, five uh, the kind of preconceptions and the assumptions that children might have about careers and not just careers roles as well about um, who might be looking after the children at home and and we know those that kind of thinking starts so early on and unless uh people in in school or or, or wider society can support children to see no actually there are different possibilities and there are different options for you then quite easily and quite quickly their choices and their ideas can be can be shut down at quite an early age. So, so we see those kind of things in the early years. But as you move through primary school, uh, it can then uh, come out in the language that the children are using, and uh, it may be things on the playground, for example, that um, you you might think, oh, we, we need to challenge that. So, uh, so really, it can be seen in a whole a whole wide range of um arenas really in school.
1: Yes yeah, so school is only one of the places we'll get onto in a minute I guess how important and whether whether it's possible even for schools to combat the kind of wider cultural values and messages that students who experience younger people are experiencing and their families are experiencing but I mean I, I'm old enough to remember Janet and John and Janet and John and Janet's in the kitchen helping mum and John's outside looking at the cars that sort of reading book has gone and you wouldn't you wouldn't have that in school anymore but when children are coming to school when they're arriving at a very young age are they already arriving with certain attitudes that they've derived from the way they maybe have been playing or the way they've been uh, the messages they've received at home even even before this even preschool
2: yes I think so I think that we are surrounded by this gender wallpaper and I think as adults we've probably become so used to it, it 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 just flies under the radar for us but but really right from birth or even before birth with things like gender reveal parties and um even you know I remember when when I was pregnant and I said oh you know the baby's kicking they'd say oh you know Maybe you've got a little footballer in there because they knew I was uh, having a boy. So I think um, it's this drip, drip, drip from all different sources. Uh, the, the media obviously pays a part and uh, children's television shows. So, so yes, I, I do believe that children are joining school uh, in the earliest years, uh, having been exposed uh, to this and and depending on, Uh, their views as a family as well it might be that that um, that has been challenged in their in their family homes or it might have been exacerbated in their in their homes as well so uh, yeah I think even if you step into major retailers um, you can see the split the divide between the boys clothes and the girls clothes and the slogans that are on we 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 were um really interested to see a teacher that we worked with uh sent us some photographs of of a recent shopping trip where the the t-shirts marketed towards girls said things like uh, be kind positive fives only and then the t-shirts that were marketed very much towards the boys were kind of apex predators and what yeah, great white sharks and crocodiles and and things like that and and it's interesting because once we've worked with teachers and we've we've done our training with teachers, they often say, oh, I can't not see it now. I can see the gendered wallpaper everywhere. So so that that does have a an, holding an impression on on children, even the very youngest children.
1: Yes, the, the boys are little monsters. That's common. They say, oh, he's a monster, isn't he? <laughs> and that and I suppose it, the suggestion being that that is expected and that is that is actually all to be encouraged, I, I'm a father of daughters, and I can remember an early age. They're they're both through university now and grown up and things, but they when they were little, we'd have you get that first sort of experiences where f- gathering of mums and friends, and the the little boys. And, and I was very consciously, I, I think I was conscious that I that I wanted to be to observe that you know how they would play and not not discourage the girls, but the girls sat quietly and talked and the boys had they were not they were noticeably not so verbal uh, in the way they I mean, one one argument is that of course i'm i'm heading towards this sort of nature nurture here and wiring of boys brains but boys mature later than girls and one of their first experiences at school will be girls are more verbal than they are and when their are first experiencing that parental parties will be and children's parties that the, the girls are planning and playing and reading and the, the boys are not yet there. Was this an observation that I was I'm I was simply observing something I thought I would find or is there reality to the idea that the little boys are wired differently?
2: It's a really really important thing to delve into and I don't think we do it enough as educators as this nature nurture we 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 really unpick this quite a lot in the training that we do we have some really really good discussions with teachers about this and of course there are undeniable differences between biological differences between girls and boys but this idea of a pink brain and a blue brain um i don't i don't know if you remember there was there was a time in literature it was really popular to have books like you know men are from mars and women are from venus and you know uh, you have to talk to men in a different way that you would talk to women just like you picked up there with the scenario of of parties and i think again when i come back to that gender wallpaper uh, what we know from research is that actually the most important thing about the brain is this neuroplasticity and you you get you're your wiring forms from what you practice really and we know as teachers that generally hopefully you get better at the things you practice and there there has been research around the amount of uh, words that are used with infant boys versus infant girls and we know that uh that caregivers uh will in generally talk to infant girls more than infant boys so that's how you know that's how subconscious it could be sometimes we know as well that caregivers and practitioners early years practitioners from a range of studies generally expect more physicality from uh, infant boys and young boys so if you're a child growing up and you're being given permission to be boisterous, as it were, to climb, to run, then the likelihood is you will take that invitation. And then on the flip side of that, if you are a, a, a young child that is being spoken to more, is being encouraged to sit down maybe and do tabletop activities more, that may well, not always, but that may well be the invitation that that you take. So um, yes, even I think, the differences we see, we see are so kind of hardwired into our psyche as adults that they almost become self-fulfilling prophecies. Um, and, it, you know, it, you, you think, and, and as a young child, they're very, very good at thinking, well, OK, the adult I'm with likes it when I do this or I get more praise when I do that. So it's very, very complex, but really interesting to look at work for example um dr gina ripon who's done a lot of work looking at the brains of men and women boys and girls um and kind of blows some of the myths uh where where um you know uh all this neuroscience she kind of blows it out the water a little bit by saying actually no this is this historically has been disproven so really interesting to uncover and to think about our role as educators within this nature nurture debate particularly when it comes to gender
1: and i guess there must be there must be studies also comparing different cultures across countries as well because there will be different attitudes that will either exacerbate or modify those behaviors and behaviors will be seen to be feminine in some cultures and masculine in other cultures i mean you know famously blue was a blue was a girl color in the in the 19th century or so but and in some parts of the world,
2: yes, yeah. And um, I, I've got a picture of my my grandfather in the early 1900s, where he, you know, it's it was quite popular in the in the portraiture of the time for the you know young boys to to be dressed up very what we would consider effeminately now. So, um, yes, you know, gen, gender moves with us and our expectation. You know, moves with us across history and culture um there are examples more widely around the world where obviously you know it's perfectly acceptable for men to wear a skirt like um dress because it might be a very very hot country and that's the easiest way to keep cool or to have longer hair for example um yeah so there's there's lots of examples and it's interesting but when I work with teachers and practitioners and they obviously bring their own backgrounds uh to the conversation and and it, it, it's really interesting to hear people um like I worked with a teacher who was brought up in Somalia for example and she said when she came to the UK this pink and blue thing she just couldn't she was just aghast she said well in Somalia you just you just wore clothes like you you just you just wore whatever was given to you and you just got on with it she said this This marketing of this is a boy's colour, this is a girl's
1: colour. She said, I've I've never seen anything so ridiculous. And sometimes the the, the pink blue thing is, I think, sometimes used by parents to avoid the perception that it's somehow embarrassing if people get it wrong. So they come up and say, what a lovely little girl. No, 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 actually, it's a a boy or something like that. And that would somehow why, why we should be afraid of getting that wrong. I don't know. You know, as if you've what have just said about my daughter, she looked like a boy, or what you said about my son, he looked like a girl, and from early on, that is an, an, an offence you don't wish to create. So, smother them in pink, and there's no doubt.
2: Yes, that's very true, and I and I think when you when you look at babies and but young babies, they all they all just look the same anyway. So, of course, this yeah, the, this this societal kind of politeness of I'm going to I'm going to code my child for you, just so that we don't have um you know a a bit of um, uncomfortableness yeah it's very true so
1: you're listening to the friday morning break with john gibbs my guest this week Kirsty ruthven who works for lifting limits raising awareness of gender stereotyping in schools we're discussing gender in schools why is it an issue is it still an issue how do we confront it? And I, I remember showing students um, we were talking about masculinity. Well, this was in sixth formers, and they was in a cultural history class. And uh, I put a picture up on the wall, 18th century, or it wasn't 18th century, yes, yeah, 17th century young men. Two dashing men about town, and dressed in the height of masculinity of their time. But of course, it's all silk and lace, and floppy curls around their heads, and bow- large bows on their shoes. Almost everything about them would have been con- would have been seen as feminine, and yet that femininity was masculine then. So our, our attitudes, and of course, it's not surprising at all. I would guess that that, that children are extremely attuned to the. Uh, de- desires, hopes, and affirmations of their of their of elders, parents particularly, but also teachers, anyone else. That's because that's how you survive, isn't it? Was Is, you know, for, for thousands and thousands of years, the child picks up what's acceptable and what the, what's wanted of them. So they must be brilliant at reading the little codes and nudges of acceptance.
2: Yes, very, yeah, very much so. And I think we 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 think you know think something like gender stereotyping. It, it, Would be something that needed to be looked at more in secondary schools, but actually, our work shows us that anything you do at at secondary school is fantastic, really, really important work. But actually, what you're doing is unpicking what's already been formed, uh, what we think's already been formed around key stage two in schools, uh, but can actually start being formed right back in early years, even before children have joined school, So, so uh, yeah, I think it's, it's really important to think about how, how clever the human child can be at picking up all these things around them.
1: Absolutely, and it, one of the things that strikes me is that if you go to, if you talk to younger children, girls are often quite affronted by the idea that they, should, they shouldn't be engine drivers and doctors and things when they're young. But aspirations seem to diminish. Well, this may be historically less true than it used to be. But as you enter secondary I mean, I, know, I remember a careers teacher coming into our class in 1970, whatever. So this is going back to, you know, antediluvian times and, uh, and asking the boys what, you know, what they want to be when their hands. All the boys put their hands up. Various things were suggested. The girls didn't know what they wanted to be, but largely wanted to be happy in whatever it was they wanted to be doing. That, I don't think that's true now, but I would guess there is a problem with aspirations of girls. In other words, there is a, still a feeling that science and engineering isn't a thing for them.
2: Well, I think it's really hard to lay the blame. You know, when I was a year six teacher, <laughs> you always kind of felt the pressure of stats on your shoulders. But actually, it's everything that's happened before year six that that. That really is the marker to how successful a child's going to be uh, with with those particular assessments. But I think the same for, for secondary school; it's, good, it's going to be an accumulation of of education at least to that point. And and we do know that yes, women are women, and and other groups are still underrepresented underrepresented in STEM careers. I know that the Institute of Physics has done some really excellent work around uh, the stereotypes uh, of um, of science and particularly the uptake of girls with with physics A-level. So and I know that there's fantastic role models out there as well that are kind of talking, shouting down the ladder and saying, hey, you know, this is really, you know, this is really, really great careers this this is something you should really think about so I think we I think we are getting better but I think it's something that needs to start even earlier and there was a piece of research done called redrawing the balance I think just before the the pandemic where they asked uh, five to seven year olds to draw people doing various careers and it was a surgeon a firefighter um, a a fighter, a, a kind of um, a pilot, and the vast majority of drew men in those careers. And then they were actually visited by women who who hold those roles, who do those professions. And even then, when they came dressed dressed with all their regalia of, of whatever equipment or uniform that they needed to do those jobs, some of the children said, "Oh, they're just they're just women dressed up." They're just play. They're playing a role, and 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 the, the the visitors have to say, no, no, I am, I am actually a surgeon. <laughs> like this is my job. <laughs> yeah, I'm a real one. I'm not just dressed up. It's not a costume. So, um, so yeah, I think I I think like I said, any work in secondary school is great, but it, it really does it does start with those with those subject choices, and then those subject choices, the seeds are sown much earlier than year nine when you're choosing your GCSEs or uh, year 11 or 10 when you're thinking about, you know, apprenticeships or A-levels or going into the world of work, whatever you want to do, colleges. So, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely not all on secondary school's shoulders. I think we can all play a part in, you know, re-dressing, redrawing the balance. And, uh, and it, it, is, it is such a waste
1: for society if talented Capable girls, and for that matter, where well, I think there's a lot of waste in society for talented, capable boys who early on associate science and learning intellectual pursuits generally as things that aren't masculine. And of course that's the other side of the coin, isn't it? That there it's there it has one of the features that I experienced in my teaching career was I don't, I don't know when I first heard about the, the problem of underachievement in boys, but it must have been a good 20, 30 years ago. And Boys underachievement has become more and more manifest as they, uh, working class boys particularly, white working class boys particularly, have also themselves in a sense fallen into a stereotype that books and book learning isn't a boy thing.
2: Yes, yeah, that's a really good point, and I think I, I was just about to say after talking about girls in STEM that actually you know these these stereotypes are, are harmful for all and. A lot of our work is around masculinities as well, and the, and how um, we want boys to look at different careers and think that could be for me. For example, teaching—you know, teaching in primary or early years, uh, or nursing, or you know—who are we given permission to be the carers in in society, or to give to give care and show care? Uh, so, I, I think it's about. The balance working on uh, definitely but both both sides there and yes i think it's really interesting any kind of stereotypes around um i mean there's some great work around rethinking masculinities in school you know do all boys uh respond to competition well yes you're always going to find um just for the nature of probability you're always going to find some boys that respond to competition but what happens to the boys that don't respond to competition well the likelihood is they just think oh i'm not even going to try so it it's things like um you know do we have to frame things always around football uh yes there are a lot of boys that like football there are a lot of girls that like football too but i always when i was taught in key stage two for example I always felt quite sorry for the boys that weren't the football boys because I felt like it was such a rite of passage and and it, it it was so such a dominant narrative with you know on a Monday morning you know your team did this your team did that and I could really see some boys that were just like, oh what about me I, I, I'm not I'm not so into that so we it's really important to look at the effects of stereotypes for all and that particularly we don't have this deficit model of there is something wrong with boys there might be something wrong with outcomes for girls and boys but there's not actually anything wrong with them there's something wrong with the structures that they are within that that we need to to challenge
1: yes i i can remember being at school and deciding for, for reasons of wanting to fit in, that, that Leeds United football team were my team. And for no reason at all, I've lived in the South of England and they just wore white. I remember their name because when asked, who do you support? I would say Leeds United. <laughs> it's because that would, then it gave me a way of, of trying to, then I'd, I couldn't follow it up very much as to why I liked them, but nonetheless. <laughs> but it was it was an opening. And an, an, it was necessary to have a football team. So what you're saying there is don't, don't adopt the idea that if you can say we can we can design a boys' a sort of boys a for school for boys it could be lots of lots of lots of rough and ready stuff and competitions and dismantling cars and and all sorts of things like that kind that 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 will alienate, that will alienate some boys
2: yes and and equally there'll be lots of girls who want that as well i mean it's 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 basic stuff around you we know that if you make your classroom more inclusive. For example, um you know if you have movement breaks and uh you know you're not constantly doing chalk and talk, which i'm sure lots of people do not do anymore, but we know that an inclusive classroom benefits all children, not just the children that may have um, uh, a diagnosis or additional needs and it's the same around stereotypes, you know what 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 works well we'd hope will we'd be able to say works well for everyone and I was very guilty I I mean I used to work for a local authority and run um, CPD for teachers and we used to do one on boys writing and (laughs) it was a sellout every time because people were thinking oh my gosh like how do we help these boys what and 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 I was guilty as as anyone is saying oh you know Um, get print off some superhero paper or buy some special pens for the boys or get them to write about this that or the other and uh, and I would not do that now I would say well what what how can you make the writing curriculum exciting for for everyone not just this stereotypical boxed in idea of what I think all boys will respond to
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
3: In a week where Ofsted has found itself under increased pressure and scrutiny following the death of a primary school headteacher, The Independent has focused on the decision by many school leaders to remove references to Ofsted from websites. The removal of logos and other references from school letterheads, websites and other materials is being done in what many describe as solidarity with head Ruth Perry. Other forms of protest against the inspectorate have included the wearing of black clothing and displaying photographs of Ms Perry in schools where inspections are taking place. Unions have also urged Ofsted to pause inspections and the NEU handed in a petition to the Department for Education, which had 45,000 signatures, calling for an accountability system that was supportive, effective and fair. In a statement Amanda Spielman HMCI said it would be against children's best interests to pause inspection and that inspection was important for both schools and parents. It has been further revealed by the BBC that inspectors had visited Cavisham Primary School where Miss Perry was head teacher in 2019 as part of a pilot of the latest inspection framework and that Miss Spielman had also been present. In a newsletter written at the time, Miss Perry said she was proud of how well pupils and staff had responded to the experience and that feedback had been overwhelmingly positive. But a formal inspection in November 2022 rated Cavishan Primary as inadequate as a result of failings in training, record keeping and checks on staff, although it did also state that children were provided with a good education and that the school was a welcoming and vibrant community. In a statement Amanda Spielman said that the the debate about reforming inspections to remove grades was legitimate but any changes would need to meet the needs of parents and government. And a spokesman for the Prime Minister said, we are confident the current rating system provides the right level of transparency for parents. In Manchester students at the city's university who have been refusing to pay their rent in protest at high costs have been removed from a university building by bailiffs. The group of rent strikers had occupied the University of Manchester's Simon building and videos on the BBC News website appeared to show some protesters being carried out. A spokesperson for the university said it regretted the action but that the protest had been going on for a significant amount of time. Campaigners said the situation was disgraceful and shamed the university. Around 250 students cancelled payments in January and demanded a 30% reduction in rent arguing they were struggling to buy food amid the cost-of-living crisis. A smaller group occupied the building, and it was this group who were removed by bailiffs, enforcing a court order after they had ignored multiple requests to leave. At the University of Birmingham, a recovery flat where students with different addictions can live together to help them complete their studies has been opened. The BBC reports on the programme, which is being pioneered by the University and trying to help students stay addiction free. The Vale, a huge student village near the campus in Edgebaston, is home to thousands of undergraduates. In one of the large blocks of flats, six units have now been set aside for students in recovery. Supported by a peer manager, the flats are alcohol and drug free, and currently are male only, although it is hoped another flat for six female students will open next year. The hope is that students can enjoy university life without missing out on support. The programme is supporting the Better Than Well project which currently supports around 50 students and was set up to help students with addictions to be successful at university and with their recovery. On South Townside a primary school in Jarrow kick-started their Kindness Matters week as it became the first Kindness Matters school in the area. Pupils at St Joseph's Catholic Primary School and its staff were asked, what does kindness mean to you? And, in the run-up to the main event, completed a 30-day Kindness Matters challenge. Kindness Matters was set up in 2012 by John McGee, known as the Kindness Coach, and it teaches kindness and well-being to schoolchildren and teachers. McGee visited the school as part of the week, where he led a super learning day focusing on what the pupils had done so far and what they would do next, to help the world be more kind. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Jo Fox.
0: This is Two Minute
4: Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I've got to episode 60. What better to celebrate 60 episodes but look at what potentially happens every 60 seconds online. And do it in 60 seconds. To do this I've used the term infographic in my search. Infographics are a great way to show visually a lot of data. They're not just for IT concepts. And I'd recommend seeing if you can find any that represent your subject. The most recent infographic I found was in a blog by Stan called What Happens in an Internet Minute. Feel free to look her up and read her research. Right, here we go. Start the countdown. In an Internet Minute, 174,000 apps are downloaded, 16.2 million texts are sent, 231 million emails are sent, 694 million songs are streamed, 6 million people buy something online, 5.9 million Google searches are made, 44 million people view Facebook live streams, 20. 8,000 active users are on LinkedIn, 2.1 million people are active on Facebook, 575,000 tweets are sent, 46,000 searches are done on Pinterest, 66,000 photos and videos are shared on Instagram, 2 million Snapchats are sent, 167 million videos are watched on TikTok, 452,000 hours of content are streamed on Netflix, 3.67 million YouTube videos are watched, and that's just the headlines of an internet minute. That's a lot of data flying around on the biggest network of networks there is. The internet. As always, if you have a question on tech, why not send it to at tt radio Official? I'm Steve Woods, and that was 2 Minute Tech. 2 Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on
0: Teachers Talk Radio.
1: Listening to the Friday morning break with John Gibbs. My guest this week, Kirsty Ruthven, who works for Lifting Limits, raising awareness of gender stereotyping in schools. We're discussing gender in schools. Why is it an issue? Is it still an issue? And how do we confront it? Yeah, and the. And, and overwhelming kind of evidence that students are that's that the criteria the single most significant sort of criteria for success in schools is your family background and family income you can simply draw a, a cross relationship piece of statistics about that <laughs> a graph or some guide and show the relationship between poverty and low incomes and low aspiration and that's regardless of your of your gender as well um, and it's going to be very difficult to break. It. I remember I used to run a debate club. And of course, we, I was at a large comprehensive school. The sixth formers we'd have the most confident students who would stand up there and give their all. But as soon as we came against private school kids, they made mincemeat of them. And they just had a sort of cultural acceptance. It wasn't just the acceptance that they were, they'd been given advantages of smaller classrooms or smarter uniforms or whatever. They actually had an idea that they were good because they weren't at the school we we're at. There was a way in ways our, our comprehensiveness defined their lack of their, their exclusivity. Well, and, and that brings me on to thinking about how, how can you in a world where much education will take place in the home, on the Internet, through a, a great diversity of, of, of information tidal wave, what can a school do if, if gender relationships are constructed out there in a world we have little control over.
2: Yes, and I think that point of intersectionality is is so important. It, you can't just say there's this binary group of boys, group of girls. There's so much more that that crisscrosses, like you say, uh, your identity, and you know, it's kind of uh, your also the um, relationship or the thoughts that your your caregivers caregivers have about education whether they value education or not is huge it doesn't matter what background you come from but if you if your parents value education then it, that could that could work marvels for you like say ethnicity or certain geographical areas and it, it's all entangled like this big <laughs> big muddled ball of string but that that what that's what makes us who we are it would be very boring if you know if all boys did like the same things and all girls also like the same thing so i i suppose our role as as teachers it it really comes down to the importance of relationships and and uh, yeah knowing your school community really really well and and understanding children as 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 individuals and and trying as much as possible uh, even though we know it can be unconsciously done Uh, to avoid these sweeping statements of, you know, this will work for this group or that will work for that group. We want schools to be this haven, as it were, of of balance, really, and and an arena where uh, different possibilities are modelled to children and uh, lived out with, with children. Because, yes, you're right, it is this tsunami, this tidal wave coming at them from so many different things probably than than we had when when we were when we were both growing up with with social media mentioned and as that's really really tied up with with gender stereotypes as well um so there's actually there's an awful lot schools can do and i and i think i wouldn't want teachers to feel like oh my gosh this is overwhelming it's too much because there are really small things that that you can do almost instantly, that will make a difference. There are bigger things as well, and medium-sized things, but there are small things. So we we work with uh, schools to, to do an audit. So we look at the whole school. We look at everything from, obviously, the curriculum's very important, but play times. Uh, we look at routines in the school as well. You know, are are we lining up in boys' lines and girls' lines? The language we use um, do we do we use uh, gendered language in in the classroom? do we have kind of pet names for boys and pet names for girls that 's something that could be uh, changed uh, straight away so uh, there's there 's lots of things uh, we could do and involving parents and carers and governors as well I mean really simple things one thing uh, I spoke to a school about a few weeks ago. They uh, we trained the whole school staff and and luckily the office staff were able to come as well which was really really great to have them included in the training and one of the uh, people in the office was really alive to these debates and very kind of passionate she said, "Do you know what I'm going to go and do I've realized our emergency contact form it says first of all it says mother and father and she said, "I always thought that that's that's not inclusive language because we do have families where we have uh, same sex parents. And she said, Oh, also, it's the it's always the mother's contact details first. So she said, If a child's sick or a teacher needs to get hold of them quickly, we always tend to phone the mother first. Whereas she, whereas she said, What we should do is say, Who would they like us to contact first? Because it could well be that the 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 dad works at home and has got more flexibility or the the, the mum might work in a hospital for example so she went away really really driven to then change the form because she said it is little things like this that kind of add up to the a bigger a bigger jigsaw puzzle as it were so
1: yes it, it is really quite subtle the message that comes from that is that uh mothers are the ones who dab the cut and kiss it better and men are just too busy to because they're at work because that isn't that isn't even the structure of our economy these days that's not the way it works at all when most most mums and dads are going to be working long hours uh as well as well as much as each other but that, yeah yes that's interesting that's that subtle message that, that men will be just too busy uh at at their at their men manly, manly things yeah
2: busy with the manly things, um and I know I'd be guilty of that and I think the whole process of this any any work that you're you're doing around equalities whether it's it's gender equality or anti-racism anything like that it's it's really important and it's really important to reflect but also it's not about beating yourself up about it because I mean I can remember times where I've given a letter to a child and said, I'll give that to (laughs) mummy. You know, I've instinctively said, oh, you know, mummy will deal with it. And I think it it just takes, you just need to step back and and have have the space to reflect and think, actually, no, I don't like that message it's given. We need to change this. We need to take some action here. And this is what we're going to do.
1: Do you encounter people who say, well, look, I see nothing wrong with father. The, the assumption that father is head of the household that's that's what is the case uh, it's what i you know in our in our community my my tradition um and if you undermine these stereotypes these stereotypes are there for a purpose the purpose is to assert a boy's understanding of himself and a girl's understanding of themselves and this this you're confronting uh, values we hold dear i mean that. No, I was just going to add, this oh, This came up in a discussion I had recently about the, the Trojan horse affair in, in Birmingham and the schools uh, it's apparently being infiltrated with certain groups. But one of the things that came across was that there, were, there are within society deeply conservative communities who would, and of course it's a very, very hot issue in the United States right now, where there are now laws in a number of states, I think it's about 12 states or so, that cannot teach um, Issues to, related to gender in any sense other than gender roles are fairly ordained by God and laid down by by by, uh, by tradition. So, I wonder if you do you encounter that sort of resistance?
2: Yeah, it's a very it's a very timely um, discussion and debate, a really important one. And we we haven't encountered it directly from families, but we have had educators say to us, "We're a we're a bit." uneasy about this we're worried about pushback from our families but one way we've always been able to um, counteract it as it were is to to link this work and any kind of work like it to the school values so um, all the schools that we work with will have kind of mission statements and aims and values and they thread through this, the whole school community and uh, I know that teachers have had conversations with families and said, yeah, it's not for us to tell you how your family is structured or how you bring your, your children up, up at home, unless obviously it, it falls into a kind of a safeguarding concern. That's not for us to stay. But school is a place where we show children possibilities. So we show children that their own lives are reflected back, but we also show them through windows, kind of, that there's other possibilities as well, and I think it. Uh, and I think 99% of the time, it's always been a really positive outcome. And I think as well, gender itself is a very loaded, controversial word at the moment. And I think any any kind of difficulties that we've had from school communities has just been down to um, misunderstanding about the work we do. So our work is about challenging gender stereotypes and uh, supporting educators and, and, and children with a range of ways to address that. Um, so I think once families understand that that's what we're doing and we sh- we're we very transparent with our resources and uh, what we're coming in to, to work with with children, uh, then then that's usually absolutely fine, but yeah we we're, <laughs> we're always kind of prepared for those debates and and conversations and and I think linking it to uh expectations of British values and the national curriculum and school values, and saying, Look, we are a school community that values equality and diversity, and for us to value." your family structure and your beliefs you then in turn have to respect the beliefs of others and we're not saying to children it's it's like I always say when I used to teach you know world religions in RE for example as a teacher you don't sit there and say you have to believe this you say oh some people believe this or some people believe in one God some people believe in many gods, some people don't believe in God at all but you are painting a picture there of diversity and of the society that children will be growing up in.
1: Yes, it's about well, it's about education. You're, de- you're describing, aren't you, that what what schools should do is teach people about the opportunities and the diversity and forms of human society that, that and val- and different values, so that they can navigate their way through them. Uh, and that that would seem to be just just what schools should should do. But it, but of course. If I think there was the story of the uh, the uh, Channel Islands school where they bought the where they they bought the <laughs> where, where they invited into the school uh, a drag queen and the drag queen is going to talk about um, that, what they do. And uh, of course, this is this was presented in the tabloid press as a scandal, a scandalous affront to children who were being um, told that, they, that there were no such things as boys and girls anymore or something, something, something like that. It was presented that way, and as you say, it's a very hot issue. It's I mean, effectively, gender as an issue was brought down uh, the, well, not brought down, but led to a to a to a upheaval in Scottish politics. Which which you know, no, carry on. Yes, and I think it's
2: sorry to interrupt, and I, I think it's so so harmful because. It's so important that we have these these debates and discussions. But what happens now? Because we're so afraid of the polarisation in the in the media and and of getting you know this cancel culture. It's like it, it feels like you can't you can't even say, look, I, I don't really understand your viewpoint because you explain it to me. It, it seems like immediately you know arguments are, are are shut are shut down, and it's really hard for people of opposing views of, or different views to share that I mean the case of um d- drag queens reading stories in in um in schools for example it's, it's such a shame that the media have kind of twisted that I think of all the of all the history of of pantomimes and the dame in, in pantomimes and that's that seems to be uh Really ingrained into British, you know. I remember when I I, I had I, some relatives came over from New Zealand and we took them to a pantomime, and they were just like, "What on earth is this? This is like the most bonkers thing we've ever seen." And we're like, "No, don't you have pantomime? Like this is this is like really British." And and they're like, "Who is that? Is that a man dressed up as a woman? What is going on?" And you know, there's things like that that you just think that you know you don't see the the Daily Mail or whoever picking up on on, on that so it, it yeah it, it's real it's a real shame because I think we really need to have these debates in a, in a healthy way and we have to model to children that actually you don't always agree with someone that is okay you can still live in harmony and there are ways to like you mentioned doing de- you know teaching children how to debate and the the um, the structures and the kind of routines around that as well. There are ways that we can think critically and explain our point articulately that we don't have to cancel each other and you know block them on social media and say we're never speaking to them again because that that's just incredibly unhelpful.
1: Yes, and some of it's somewhat self-reinforcing. If you're afraid that your son will go to school and be bullied if he doesn't fit in, then you'll advise him on how to fit in with certain ideas about masculinity that, uh, which then become, well, a lesson. But your your objective is that he shouldn't be bullied. He shouldn't be, shouldn't fit in. They should fit in, rather. Uh, one of the things that on your website, Lifting Limits, is, I, I guess it, it is shocking. And, it, and it, it's something that my own, my daughters could absolutely affirm when they went to the secondary school, to a secondary school, is that sexual harassment of girls at school has, Become almost normalized as they when i when I asked them, do you experience things like this kind? they like, yeah, of course, yes, that's how we were talked to, that's how boys referred to us, that's how we were observed by boys um,
2: yeah, yeah, it is really shocking, and when you read those figures like the the n e u piece of research uh when they spoke to secondary school teachers and secondary school teachers, about well, a third of them I think said oh yeah I see it every week it's just like you say it is it is normalized and and it's that age-old kind of you know what you what you don't challenge you silently endorse so and I appreciate you know I know how busy primary schools are I've been a teacher for over 20 years now and, and I can't even begin to to think about how busy kind of the corridors are at, at secondary schools and 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 things but it, it it's it I know it's about picking your battles but it really really does have to change because there are generations of of girls growing up thinking well you know what's the point of saying anything because no one's going to do anything about it and i mean it, everyone's invited where people were uh, were able to log their uh experiences, uh anonymous, anonymously online, uh was a complete eye-opener, I think, for many schools when they they realized, oh gosh, this is this isn't something that just happens somewhere else. This is happening right here. Um and I know there's some there's some good things moving forward. Like I, I, I live in London and it's um it's really commonplace now on uh the tube to see lots of posters about Sexual harassment on on public transport, and actually, some some really good things about what is sexual harassment. So there there was one poster I saw the other day, and it was like staring at someone for you know a long you know an uncomfortable period of time is harassment. I mean, most people that catch the tube know you just kind of look at your feet, and um and I thought that well that that's that's really good because it's it's spelling out. I mean, I know a poster is is a poster. It's not actually physically going to um, stop someone from um,
1: experience harassment. But over time, things change, aren't they? I mean, it's a dramatic, rev- it's a revolution that you can, that that's happened in only a few decades, is that uh, uh, a young man can meet another young man off a train on Houston Station and kiss as they meet, and no one will blink an eye. Whereas that would have It would have stopped, you know, would have frightened the horses and stopped the traffic. And some would have called a policeman not so long ago. Uh, So there are, there are changes. I noticed them in among, among the sixth formers that I taught. They were very, very accepting, incredibly accepting of gender flexibility differences and and students who, who were gay or LGBT and so on. In the lower school, less so. It was altogether a more fierce, fierce environment still but still it's changing in a way that I could never have imagined when I was at school where um, homophobia was almost painted into the wall, as you said earlier, the wallpaper of society at the time. Uh, So things do, things do change.
2: Yes. So that's, that's a nice, the positive notes. They really do. And I think the takeaway there is kind of, we, we, we can change and we as individuals, but also as, as wider groups and, and wider society, because this, uh, most of this has come from social construction so if you reject that if you say actually I don't I don't care if I see uh two men kissing at <laughs> Houston, I'm just it doesn't bother me at all good for them then you know that is all part of of making a positive change and it, it, it all will add up and add up to um yeah like you say just big bigger kind of acceptance and and um, hopefully seeing it in wider, wider
1: spheres. Well, we're nearly at the end, uh, but I'm going to ask now about one last character that's popped up a lot on Teachers Talk Radio and among teachers who are concerned about how to deal with him, and that's of course Andrew Tate, the uh, someone I'd never heard of up until a month or two ago, but we're undoubtedly Millions and millions of young men and women would have would have would have known his name as one of the most uh, known influencers in the world.
2: Mm, yeah, it's really really important, and we know. But I mean, we predominantly work in in primary schools, like I like I mentioned, and, and we do have teachers saying to us that that the children know about him. They may not have seen any of his content, but they know that his name holds power um whether they they picked that up from older siblings um so it is re- it, it is really worrying and i think i know we've we've really honed in on and him and his name and 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 the kind of narrative he he was was pushing but i think it's really important for us to think about the bigger question of why are young people young boys in particular listening to to someone like him and thinking well you know I, I, he, he's saying some truth here I could believe that I I think that is is really important for us to to consider because um you know it's obviously all very cleverly done it starts off with kind of look at my Lamborghini look at my Bugatti it kind of hooks hooks people in and then it's a gateway to much stronger beliefs and there is some worrying uh, bigger uh, kind of global storylines. There was a, a big piece of research done by um, Ipsos and I think it was in conjunction with King's College London where they they spoke to, I think, thousands and thousands of people globally. And there was some really positive stuff around people felt like gender equality uh, what could be achieved in their lifetime. So that was great. But the really worrying thing that came out of that Was that there was an upsurge in people believing that gender equality were was that the um, uh, meant so more gender equality meant worse things for men. Basically, it was like there's 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 only finite amount of equality and women are using starting to use too much of it up, and that that was coming across globally, which which was uh really really worrying so i think yes it's important to look at the influences and and why they are influencing but i think there's there's a much bigger thing around um yeah that balance of and and that now and that that narrative almost of you know gender equality is good for everyone when you look at kind of mental health for for men and um yeah all those really worrying statistics that come out of places like the Samaritans for example. It yeah, it's and I think it's hard as well when there's uh economic downturn and people are struggling, and then of course they are looking at these aspirational people that have got so much money in the bank allegedly and driving these cars and, and things. It's 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 really hard. But I think at the foundation it's about teaching children to think critically, to understand that a lot of these things online are choreographed and edited, and they are not real, they're not reality. And to also get them to think about how does it make you feel? What is the message that you're getting from from viewing this? What do you think it wants you to make you do? And do you really believe in that? Is that the kind of world that, that you want to to live in so it's it's really complex and, and I'm I'm sure he will keep on even though he's now incarcerated I'm sure he will will keep on coming into conversations but it's not it's not just about him it's it's about how how has he had such an influence and what do we as, as educators really need to think about the root causes for that
1: well, this has been a fascinating discussion.
2: Thank you so much. Oh, you're really welcome. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, yeah. And get in touch again anytime. It was really lovely to, to have the time and space to talk through some of these bigger, bigger issues and questions. Thank you, John.
0: You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org.